Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbee and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode is brought to you by the letter F for fat. To gain access to the virtual guide to this episode, please subscribe to the Full Bloom Project mailing list at fullbloomproject.com. Fat. Today, we want you to think about how you really feel about this word. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word? Fat. How about when you look at body fat? Your own body fat? How about your kids? It is more common than not to have negative associations and even fear associated with fat. But if we want our kids to fully bloom, we can't stop there. So we are bringing you Dr. Rebecca Poole, Deputy Director for the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity and the leading national expert in the field of weight bias. Here to help us level the moral playing field of body size, reduce weight bias in ourselves, understand what we can do to address weight-based bullying, and tap into the power of words to advocate for the emotional well-being of our children. Dr. Poole, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Thank you so much for having me. We're thrilled that you're here and that you're here to talk to us about a tough subject because a lot of parents and just a lot of people have thoughts and feelings about this word, fat. And we brought you on because your research focuses quite a bit on weight bias. And it would be great to get started with just what brought you to your research on weight bias. And would you say fat phobia is a component of weight bias? And how can we understand the connection here? Sure. So about 20 years ago now, I I started a graduate program in clinical psychology at Yale working with Kelly Brownell. And and my initial plan at that time was to study prevention of eating disorders. But early on in my graduate training, I was offered an opportunity to do some research on weight bias. And that was a topic that early on in my training, I really was not very familiar with. It wasn't something that was on my radar. But as I began to do research in this area, and as I was also working with patients of of various body sizes who were talking about their experiences of stigma and bias, I, I realized very quickly that this is a problem that we really need to pay more attention to. And and for me, it was one of those uh, experiences that was really uh, life-changing for my career because I really jumped into this topic of weight bias and I never really looked back. Um, but in terms of your question of, of fat phobia and weight bias and how do we understand this connection, when we talk about fat phobia, often what comes up are uh, discussions of fear or dislike of people who have larger body sizes, uh, being afraid of becoming fat, 
or feeling other negative emotions. And those feelings and those perceptions are really reinforced by societal bias and messages about body weight. We see in our society how people are treated negatively and unfairly because of their weight, that they're they're stereotyped unfairly. We see mass media messages that really celebrate and promote thinness and communicate rejection and and judgment towards people who have larger bodies. And so this can contribute to fat phobia in general. And in some ways, I really see these two things as reinforcing each other. Yes, it's like the chicken or the egg kind of situation in some ways. Kind of in, in all this time that you've been working with this subject or these subjects, how, what you found in terms of how people generally feel about fat, weight, obesity, and why? It's a big question. It is a big question. And, you know, I've been doing this research for a long time. And and what we continue to see is that many people harbor negative attitudes and bias towards people with larger bodies. I think it's helpful to think about this more broadly in terms of how people in our society feel about thinness. So being thin has come to symbolize pretty strong values in North American society. So people who are thin are assumed to be so because of hard work that they've um, achieved to to get the body that they want, that it reflects discipline and desire and attractiveness. And then what happens is, conversely, people who don't live in thin bodies are stereotyped as lacking those attributes, as being lazy or unmotivated or undisciplined. And we see these stereotypes played out in multiple aspects of our society. Uh, We see it in the media. We see it in employment settings. We see it in healthcare institutions. And, you know, when it comes to parents and children, um, they're exposed to these views in the media as well with television shows and movies and social media and magazines. And the prevailing messages that we see in these societal messages is that thin is good, fat is bad, and that a person's weight is within their personal control and it's up to them to obtain an ideal body type. Those kinds of messages are often promoted by the billion dollar diet and fashion industries and and they can be very harmful and they also serve to reinforce broader societal stigma and bias and unfair treatment of people who are living in larger bodies. You know, while this is the prevailing view in our society, I do think there has been increasing recognition, especially in recent years, that weight bias is harmful, that it's it's unfair, and that we need to have increased acceptance and respect for people uh, regardless of their body size. We certainly still have a a long way to go in this journey, but um, having been doing this work for such a long time, it has been optimistic for me to see um, increasing awareness and acceptance of the need to address this problem. There's also a lot of talk now or some uh, differing of opinion about this word obesity. And I'm curious just because I know that obesity is a word that I see sort of in your bio and um, in your work. And I'm curious just what your thoughts are on on this word obesity and kind of thinking about it as a, an epidemic and sort of a, like a, a medical issue. It's not a question I know you prepared for, but it just makes me curious because I think that with more research in like the health at every size world and, and a lot of light getting shined on the sort of problem with weight stigma and weight bias, there's some kind of almost controversy over whether or not we should be using this word obesity. So would you, would you mind just sharing your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think you've raised an important question about language and body weight and what people perceive to be stigmatizing. And and this is a really important question, and it's a question that we've been doing more research on for this very reason. Um, Because you're right, there are some very strong opinions in different fields and different disciplines about what words we should be using when we talk about weight and weight stigma. Um, And, you know, what I think is really interesting is that different words are viewed to be either positive or negative by different groups. And I don't know that we're at a place right now where we can find a single word that is is universally accepted across different groups. But what I do think is really important is to respect that there are very different opinions and perspectives and preferences on this. And, and that's one of the, the things that we've been looking at in our research is to really not make assumptions about what language people feel most comfortable with and instead to ask people individually, you know, what words would you like to use while we have this conversation? What words do you feel most comfortable with or most supported by? And to really respect those individual preferences. Um, You know, just as there are some people who don't like the word obesity, there are many people who don't like the word fat. And, you know, there are many other examples of other words we could be using as well. And so I think we're at a time where we really need to be cautious and careful and respectful of the range of different preferences and viewpoints there are with language. Because you mentioned that you're doing a bit of research on this, I was going to ask what you're finding. Sure. So we've been doing research both with adults and also with adolescents. And I think for our purposes today, it probably makes more sense for me to talk about some of the work we've been doing with adolescents, where we've been essentially um, asking adolescents for what kind of reactions they have to words that their parents use when talking about their weight. And what I think this really has emphasized to us is the importance of approaching these conversations uh, with sensitivity, respect, and acceptance, and not making any assumptions. And so one of the primary findings of our work is that adolescents have a lot of different preferences when it comes to how they want their parents to talk about their weight. Typically, words like fat and obese lead to negative emotional reactions, feeling sad, embarrassed, ashamed, whereas more neutral words like body weight tend to induce less negative um, emotions. But one of the things that we've also found is that even talking about weight neutrally can induce negative emotions. And, you know, it's important to remember that this is a very emotionally charged topic, especially for children and adolescents. And sometimes even just bringing up weight can have a negative response. And so, you know, I think before having a conversation about weight, it's really helpful for parents to think about what the purpose is, what the goal of that is, Usually, this the goals that parents have can be achieved by switching the conversation to health or even just modeling health behaviors. But if parents want to have a conversation about body weight, you know, it's really important to think carefully about word choice. Uh, there are so many words that get used to talk about weight, words like chubby or large or obese or fat or plus size, and to really think more about neutral language that they can use and and asking their child directly, again, what words would they feel comfortable using? I appreciate you talking about that and like the, how the, how language really is powerful. And I kind of want to circle back to this question about what is problematic for children in particular, if they have parents that have weight biases, especially if the parent isn't aware 
of their weight biases and if that might impact word choice or a lack of sensitivity about conversation with kids? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, what we know is that parents do sometimes have weight biases and children who experience weight bias from their parents often are at risk for a range of negative emotional and physical health consequences because of that. And this includes um, higher levels of depression, anxiety, poor self-esteem, poor body image. Uh, It can also lead children and adolescents to turn to unhealthy eating behaviors like binge eating or unhealthy weight control practices or even avoidance of physical activity. And some of these consequences are long-lasting. We actually uh, published a study in 2017 Um, using data from Project EAT, which is a large uh, cohort study of adolescents. And these adolescents have been followed over many years. And what we found is that adolescents who were teased about their weight from family members and adolescents, that those experiences predicted unhealthy eating behaviors 15 years later when they were in their 30s. And this was especially true for girls. And it remained true even after we accounted for factors like their body weight and, and other characteristics. And so I think it's important to to keep in perspective that parental weight biases are are harmful and that you know being exposed to weight bias from parents really communicates to children that they really have to look a certain way in order to be valued or accepted or successful and it communicates that treating people badly or unfairly because of their body weight is acceptable and that can be very damaging to a child. And we know that when children are also exposed to these types of messages that it doesn't take long for them to take hold and that in fact children as young as preschool age three are already endorsing weight-based stereotypes toward their peers. And we might be thinking, okay, well, how are those those preschoolers getting exposed to these kinds of messages? And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but there are these kinds of messages in children's literature and children's media, but it's also, you know, coming from parents as well. I think it's so much more prevalent and nuanced than any of us realize. I think that a lot of people don't think they have bias, but when you really sit with it, it's hard to imagine not in a certain way, like when, when you really sit with what it is. And before we move on to some of our other questions, I wanted to ask you, when you were studying teasing in particular, what exactly were you asking and what, what were you defining as teasing? So that's a great question. So when, when we focus on, on studies looking at weight-based teasing and bullying, we, we actually ask a lot of different questions to look at different forms of weight-based teasing and bullying. So this includes uh, verbal teasing, so derogatory negative remarks or comments that people make. It includes physical aggression, so what you would imagine in terms of um, being kicked or shoved or you know other forms of, of physical aggressive behavior. Um, it also includes something called relational victimization, which involves being ignored or excluded because of your weight or being uh, the target of rumors that other people spread. And it also includes cyberbullying. And I think what's important to keep in mind is that, you know, certainly from peers, we see a lot of different forms of weight-based bullying and victimization happening. Uh, from parents, it's mo- what we see mostly are uh, verbal comments being made, um, verbal teasing. This this gets to the, the point that you were raising a, a moment ago, which is that many parents 
um, aren't even aware that they may be expressing bias in this way or, you know, teasing may, may seem, oh, it's just harmless. We're just making a joke. Um, and I think that's, again, because of the broader society we live in where weight bias has become so automatic that uh, we tend not to even uh, recognize it in ourselves. I think that that is such an important point, and I want to kind of keep it alive for the rest of our conversation because we created this platform really to dedicate content and resources to parents that really strives to not shame any parent if they, through, let's say, a little more education and curiosity, discover that, whoa, I do have kind of high levels of weight bias, right? We want parents to notice it in themselves and, and not beat themselves up for it, but actually get curious about maybe why it's there and we want to normalize it. And then we really want to help them sort of know what they can do if what they want to do is maybe reduce it. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, like what your research has found if a parent realizes that they do have high levels of weight stigma or weight bias that might be kind of getting played out in the environment they're creating for their kids at home, like what should they do? What needs to happen? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you've hit on a very important point, which is awareness is really key. And that's really the first step. You know, again, negative messages about weight and stereotypes about weight have become so automatic in our society that it becomes easy to hold biases and not even really be aware of them. But it's important to remember that, you know, just because we're parents or just because we're educators or we are aware of these issues or supportive of our children, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're immune to weight bias. It can come out, you know, in subtle ways in our language and our behavior, not just in more overt ways. So awareness is really key. And we we can become more aware by asking ourselves questions like, what assumptions do I make about people with larger bodies? Or what beliefs do I have about a person with a larger body size compared to a person with a smaller body size? And then starting to think the next question would be, well, why is this? What takes practice is really challenging those beliefs and stereotypes. So looking for evidence to really look at the people you know, the people you see in your community or your broader society or the media who challenge those stereotypes. You know, we can all think of people who have larger body sizes who absolutely defy the typical weight-based stereotypes. Um, But we need to make that an active process. And, And that's also something that we need to do when we're communicating with our children, to think about how we communicate about other people and other people's body sizes in front of our children. And this can be uh, a way to really model acceptance of people with diverse body sizes and also thinking about how parents communicate about their own weight in front of their children because those biases can come out as well. Um, Many parents, especially mothers, um, tend to be very critical of themselves and their own bodies. And it's very easy to make comments about themselves in front of their children. Either, you know, I look so bad in these jeans or I shouldn't be wearing this outfit until I lose weight or whatever it is. So I think it's, you know, a step of starting with awareness, thinking about why you have certain assumptions or beliefs related to body weight, actively challenging those beliefs, looking for examples that counteract those beliefs in your life, and then thinking about how you might be unintentionally communicating in ways that reinforce those biases. 
Um, we have a, a number of studies now showing that weight-based bullying is one of the most common reasons that children and adolescents are teased and bullied, especially in the school setting. It's a really common experience. And so I think the first thing as parents to recognize if your child is a target is to really sit down and have a supportive conversation to let that child know that it is not his or her fault that they are being teased, that being teased about body weight is just as legitimate and harmful as being teased for any other reason. Beyond what parents can do to take actionable steps, which we'll talk about in a moment, I think it's really important for parents to express that they value their child in so many ways that have nothing to do with their physical appearance. Sometimes children who are teased about weight, this can lead parents to become more worried about their child's weight, if they, especially if they have a larger body size. It can be very tempting for parents to react by making comments about their child's weight or food choices or trying to lose weight, but that can really backfire. I think all parents certainly want their children to be healthy, but that's more likely to happen if they're modeling healthy behaviors rather than um, focusing conversations on the number on the scale. So if weight-based teasing or bullying is coming up, this is not a time to be talking about weight loss. However, when we talk about weight-based bullying, there are actionable things that parents can do. One of the things that we've seen in our research is that even though most schools now are required to have anti-bullying policies, uh, these policies really vary considerably according to how strong they are. And very few anti-bullying policies talk about body weight. It is often not on the radar. And so what parents can do first is to really contact their school, their child's school, to find out what the anti-bullying policy is and to take a look at what that policy says. And if body weight is not on that policy language somewhere, then it's time to talk to a school administrator, school principal, to make sure that this is an issue that is on the radar more broadly at the school in kind of an official and systematic way. Um, we've done a lot of, of studies looking at parental support to strengthen school-based anti-bullying policies to make sure that kids are protected from weight-based bullying. And we see substantial support. Over 80% of parents want to see this happen. But a lot of times parents just aren't aware of, of what their, their child's school-based anti-bullying policy is. So that's a good place to start. I want to just um, interject, if you don't mind, because I think that's this is a perfect example of how pervasive weight bias is. I'm hearing you say that research shows that this is a really, no pun intended, but weighty problem, right? Like weight-based bullying. And yet schools are sometimes excluding weight-based bullying from their bullying policies. So I'm noticing that that's sort of an example of how even institutionally it's being overlooked. And I wonder if that is in some ways a function of how we're kind of a weight bias society, including at the at the school administration level. So I just I just wanted to note that as you were talking. Yeah, it's really striking, um, and you're absolutely right that you know to think about how prevalent weight based bullying is and not to have it be front and center or at least prioritized in policies is really concerning. And and to be honest, it's not just school based policies; it's also state anti bullying laws. So every state has an anti-bullying law, but just like school-based policies, they vary considerably in terms of how comprehensive they are. Right now, there are only a couple of states that mention body weight or physical appearance. And again, what that tells us is when, when we don't see body weight on 
as part of the language in these policies or laws, then we, we really don't know if students are being adequately protected. You know, when, when these characteristics are listed in laws, then that means that there is an official recognition that we need to intervene, we need to take it seriously. And, and you know, we've seen this, this kind of process with other stigmatized identities as well, especially with sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, but we are seeing more and more policies um, include those where we're not seeing that with weight. So, you know, I do think that this has potential for an opportunity for parents to really voice their concerns, to get involved in, in making um, these policies stronger. Um, but in terms of their own child and what they can do, you know, I think it's really important to um, provide increased support for their child. We've done some research to see what kinds of support do do youth want from different people in their lives when they experience weight-based teasing or bullying. And from parents, they want emotional support. They want social support. Um, some Youth talk about wanting to really have their parents help them figure out a plan that they can role play and practice for how they're going to um, stay away from bullying and teasing at school. Um, we also see that a lot of these youth want support from their friends or peers. They want people to spend time with them, likely because many of them are experiencing relational victimization and being ignored and excluded. Um, so really thinking about ways to increase support is very helpful. If the bullying or teasing continues, though, it is important to contact the, the child's teacher or another school administrator. What typically we see from youth in terms of what they want for, from support from teachers is either kind of stronger actions coming from teachers to intervene in teasing situations or to separate uh, students either in different classrooms or to really try to put measures in place that make it less likely for the teasing to continue. Um, so there are a number of different responses depending on who the person is. And I think parents have, you know, have a good radar with their child in terms of what kind of support their child most wants and most needs. And it's, it's important to have an open conversation about that. I, I'm a parent myself. Sometimes I just feel like I'm the squeaky wheel yelling something that it's hard for administrators to listen to and take seriously, although they can relate to the seriousness of it. It's just helpful for a parent to have all this right there and to go in with it. And I'm wondering if you guys have done any type of toolkit for parents. Is there some type of resource that they could come kind of armed with outside of this podcast? We do have a number of resources on the website for the Rudd Center, and this includes a few things. Um, we have a number of, of published research studies that we make available on our website that look at these issues, um, that look at weight-based bullying in school-based policies and parental support to strengthen those policies. We also have um, an example of a model bullying policy and why it's important for body weight to be included. Those are certainly available, um, and I also encourage folks to get in touch with me um, directly as well if they have questions related to these policies that I can be um, helpful on. That's great. And that that's the type of uh, information and links that we'll include for sure on, on our website so that anyone listening to this can just easily access that material. I had a quick question that was sort of bring us full circle because I know that you found this work kind of via I think you said sort of eating disorder prevention work or right? Yeah, you know, that's I started my my graduate research really planning to do clinical based research on prevention of eating disorders. And, you know, weight bias what really wasn't on my radar until I started doing some 
clinical training and was offered some specific research opportunities to, to kind of jump into this issue. So it wasn't part of my plan, but it certainly completely took over. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, like, if you can share anything with us and our listeners about how deeply related these two things are, that even though you started out wanting to do eating disorder prevention research and then found your way to weight bias research, why a parent, let's say, that would like to do whatever they can to try to create a home environment that will reduce risk for their child developing an eating disorder, um, to, who wants to promote body positivity, why what you're sharing with us today about weight, weight bias, why that is totally related or how that's totally related to even eating disorder prevention. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there are some kind of core fundamental truths at the bottom of all of this, whether it's, you know, motivated for eating disorders prevention or, you know, healthy body weight or healthy eating. The bottom line is, is that body positivity can facilitate health in all of those different areas. And, you know, when we consider the fact that, that kids really don't get messages of body positivity, you know, as parents, in some ways that puts a lot of pressure on us to, to be those voices and to be those voices every day. Um, because I think when kids feel confident in themselves, regardless of what their body size is, um, that that's going to help protect them against the harms that can come from developing eating disorders or other harmful eating and, and health behaviors. You know, kids need that, that confidence and that value and that self-worth in order to be healthy in all of those ways. And, and I, I do recall many times treating patients with um, eating disorders where stigma, fat phobia, fear of fat, these were all central issues that, that came up time and time again. Um, and, and so I think, you know, targeting those is, is really going to be helpful to promote healthier kids. So the million-dollar question here on the Full Bloom podcast is, you know, if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did one thing regularly, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think, you know, what this comes back to is what kind of I was saying a moment ago is that when it comes to body weight, children need to hear from parents that how they look or how much they weigh will never be more important than their qualities like their character, how they treat others, their talents, their abilities, their contributions to society. That is a message that children don't hear frequently enough. And everything they see on social media, television, you know, communicates the importance of appearance and and that's really harmful. So I think as parents, if we can communicate the message each day to our children that their esteem, their self-respect, their worth has nothing to do with what they look like, we can really help support our children to feel better about themselves and to treat others with respect regardless of their body size. Would you say that even if a kid then says in response, oh, you don't understand, you know, like, that, you know, you're just saying that because you're my mom, you know, like, would you say that it's still important to continue to repeat that message no matter what the response you get? No matter, no matter what the response. I mean, I get that response from my kids on pretty much everything I say, So, but it doesn't stop me from saying it um, because we know, we know that what we say as parents matters more to them than what anyone else says and has a lasting impact. 
Um, so even if we, we kind of hit the wall when we say these comments, I think it's really important to keep doing it and to get creative in the ways that we do it. It could be pointing out examples of things that challenge weight bias or weight-based stereotypes in the media when we see it. It could be um, pointing to examples in, in magazines or with other people that we know or just looking for opportunities to have experiences that demonstrate and that model um, acceptance and celebration of diverse bodies. It's just moving from, oh, you look nice today or you look good to some something else, anything else about that person. You know, how are you? It starts there, you know, and I, I notice in my small children now that they are responding to you look cute. And it's a phrase that is said many, many times throughout the day by adults um, to children. And I think we just want to start thinking about that. So I've been thinking a lot about the movie on the basis of sex and how important those laws in changing the laws were for gender equality and thinking about weight equality and how we're going to get there. I'm just wondering what you're working on in that regard and what your thoughts are around like how are we going to do this for our for our for the next generations Absolutely. And I, and I think, again, this goes to the importance of policy and legislation. And, and you're right. Right now, we live in a country where it is essentially legal to discriminate on the basis of weight. There are a couple of exceptions to that. Um, Michigan has a law that was passed in the 1970s that, that prohibits weight discrimination. And there are half a dozen uh, laws in, in local and uh, cities across the country that have, have laws as well. But essentially, for the most part, um, this is a real problem. And what I do feel optimistic about is that there are in states that are starting to, to look at this and senators and, and House representatives who are interested in passing legislation to make it illegal to discriminate on the basis of weight. Um, Massachusetts is one of those states. Um, and, you know, they've been trying to pass a law for some time. They are getting closer. And we've also done a number of studies looking at this as well, kind of national studies, international studies, looking at public support for, for laws that would really create equality for weight. And we see tremendous support and increasing support over time. So, you know, I do think we are nearing a time where that this could be more feasible than it has been previously, um, both because there's awareness of this problem. There are some viable policy options and legislative options to address this. I think that ultimately that's, that's where we need to go, because if we don't have laws, if we don't add body weight as a protected characteristic along with other types of identities that have protection with laws like civil rights, then we, we kind of send a message to kids and everyone else in our society that this type of treatment is acceptable. And, and it's really not. I think we are making progress, but um, you know, policy change can be a lot slower than we want it to be. But I do see we're moving in the right direction. I'm really, I am happy to hear that. And I'm glad that Leslie brought that up because to think that, okay, at least it's starting or at least it's, it, it, there are rumblings of this actually happening because going back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning, there's this almost universal idea that bigger body, bad, smaller body, good. And so why would you, you know, advocate for equality for something that's bad? Except the whole point is that it's not, it's not a good and bad. It's not a, 
a dichotomous situation like that. It's just diverse. And so I am very hopeful to hear what you're saying that there, you know, it's not happening fast enough, but it's happening. And I appreciate that we did talk a little bit about how parents can get active at, you know, even on their, on the school level of school policy, because it, it does sort of remind us that we, we can't just be passive in this, that we all have to kind of tap into our activists, you know, the activists within us. And uh, I think today you gave us a lot of, actually a lot of hope and guidance and direction. Well, thanks. And, you know, I think you've hit on an important point, which is that parents do have very powerful voices, especially when it comes to policies affecting children. I think a lot of times as parents, we just think about, you know, ourself as a parent in our house with our kids, and we don't kind of know what we can do beyond that. But there really is a lot that we can do to help push this forward. Well, thank you for doing your work um, and your research and being so dedicated to this process and changing the landscape of, of our country, hopefully, in regards to, to acceptance of all sizes. Well, thanks very much for having me today. And um, I really think that the project that you've launched here is really important and is part of why we can push things forward, because the more awareness, the more dialogue that we have on these issues, I think the more success we'll see. So that's our show. Dr. Poole gave us a lot to think about, and we encourage you to take your time digesting all you have heard. If you resonated with the discussion about weight bias or fat phobia, don't rush through those thoughts. Be kind to yourself. Get curious about those thoughts. Journal about them. Try to get to know your true feelings about fat and think about where those may have originated. This individual work will support your body positive parenting efforts and allow you to effectively communicate to your children that their esteem, respect, and self-worth has nothing to do with the way they look. Yet again, we are reminded that our words matter. Whether we are speaking directly to our children or advocating for better policies in their school, We'd love to know what questions or new parenting practice our guest inspired in you and hope you'll follow us on Instagram this week for more content dedicated to this very topic. The virtual guide to this episode is available exclusive for all Full Bloom Project mailing list subscribers, so be sure to sign up at fullbloomproject.com if you haven't already. And tune back in next time for more body-positive parenting wisdom.